right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast. As always, I am your host, Bailey Eichbrett, and joined with me is the captain, Mr. Andy Full, who is sporting nothing but Bill's gear and will probably be shouting rampantly throughout this episode, uh, if all goes well. But uh, what's going on, buddy? Oh, you know, just uh, living another day in the dream, I guess you could say. Um, still weeping about my motor issues Saturday and going to get the vote in tomorrow to make sure it's good to go and hopefully get these uh, guide trips I lost out on the last few days, uh, get them back in the schedule here in November when the fishing's about to be off the chain. So fingers crossed that it's just something <clears throat> stupid. So, but dude, what a Saturday. Yeah. Fall is 1000% here. And I, <laughs> I think you and I are probably one of the most happy people about it. I mean, most people are in the deer stand or something like that, but uh, for the guys that can get out on the water during the fall, People know how absolutely dumb the fishing yeah. can get in the north. Especially uh, when it's windy, raining, not just raining, like pouring buckets. Uglier the better. Yeah, it was absolutely <laughs> that what a day Saturday was. If it's gonna be really nice out, just hope that there's a football game on or that you're a hunter. If it's really nasty out, get on the lake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure our guest today knows all about that. Mr. Jonathan Kelly, who was sitting down in the queue, but uh Let's uh, dude. Let's talk about it a little bit uh, Saturday because obviously we're gonna have a video coming out down the road uh, to plug that. But uh, it was it was nutty. We had we had our Western New York Bassmaster Team Championship, and uh, basically, I guess if you want to start the story here of how the, the day started with an alarm on your boat, do you want do you want to begin here? <laughs> So I think the day started when we launched the boat in the downpouring rain, I decided to eat a donut. And that probably should have been like the bad omen right off the bat, right? Stuffing this cinnamon brown sugar donut down my gullet as we're getting ready to take off. And yeah, we're screaming down the lake, I pass one boat, and I'm like, sweet. All of a sudden, my boat's screaming at me, an oil alarm. And I'm like, great. And thankfully, the lake is about this big. So got like three quarters away to our spot we troll and motor it up to it and bailey sticks one right away big one and i was like all right this is awesome and then i'll let you take it from here because you continued to keep sticking them i think after that point for a, quite a long time we we sat on one area which was going to be like our predominant area for almost the entire day like and it's literally like a 20 foot by 20 foot like it, it's small it's basically it's just, a tiny shell bed yeah, it's a shell bed on a hump that wasn't on mapping that I found using my Humber Auto Sharp. And basically, it's all we fished the whole day, pre- predominantly the whole day. And you suck a couple of good ones, but I knew the boat was going to get better the windier it got. And it wasn't that windy as we thought it was going to be that morning. So basically, we went to fire up the motor to go check one more spot to pass some time before coming back to let the spot reload. And uh, basically, it limp mode. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew both started to scream at him again and started smoking. And basically it was let's play it safe rather than sorry and just not start the motor. So we literally trolling motored like four miles to this spot just for it to be a dud. And then catch, <laughs> well, we kept we stopped, we stopped on one spot that was like an iffy spot that I had that more people knew about. It was more of a community hole ish. I caught a four and a half on an A rig, a largemouth, the only largemouth I caught all day. And then 
Nothing more from that. Went back to our first spot. You caught one on the way back to it, like randomly in the middle of the abyss of nowhere. Oh, yeah. So that was like a four and a half. Was, yeah. So what we did, we Andy and I, this was like our best decision-making day. And I think your motor crashing, as, mad, as sad as it is. It slowed us down. Yeah. So there's there was a specific part of the lake that like had a sharper cut bank. And basically the grass line, you could fish the grass line and efficiently fish docks at the same time. So Andy was able to skip back to the chatterbait, and I was able to throw down the grass line with the A-rig. And it only worked for one bite, but the one bite helped us out. Like, literally right at our feet, right at the trolling motor, I'm screwing the A-rig back up. and went, bam, and scared the crap out of me. Like, I almost jumped and crapped myself. And it was like a four-and-a-half-pound smallmouth, so we put that in the box. Got back to our first spot, uh, proceeded to wallop on them, four-pounder, four-pounder. Couldn't get giants, but, like, we all we had all four and a half pounders of all smallmouth, and including one blue drum walleye looking smallmouth. That, that was just insane. Of. It was wicked. <laughs> if you guys haven't seen it yet, go to our Instagram or Facebook because we have a picture of it. The thing's gnarly. Or go to Andrew's Instagram. Uh, the thing's wicked cool. Um, I don't even know how but, to describe the blue color of it. It was like a slate gray with like a blue purple hue. It looked like an Alabama smallmouth. It's kind of what Ronnie Moore was saying in the comments. But yeah. it, it almost looked like, in, in relative terms, like a bluegill and a smallmouth had a baby. And that baby got huge. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah. But basically, long story short, obviously, we'll go into it in the full video. And uh, we're not about to talk about the tournament all day today because Jonathan's probably sitting in the queue like these idiots. But uh, basically, we're on our way back. We were like, we gave an hour, hour and a half to trolling motor back to the ramp because we didn't have a big motor. And uh, it was, uh, we're going to have the same game plan of I'm going to hit grass lines and he's going to hit docks. Well, part of the lake turns into a, a shallow flat. So I'm like, you heap it in docks. I'm just going to hope, I'm going to sling a top water out into a flat and just hope for one big bite. Well, Andrew gets a, a high four and then like 30 yards docks down, like the last 10 minutes we have of fishing, Andrew sticks a big one. He goes, it's a big one. And I see it flash and I do it to five pounder. Well, we get in the net, we're like, do it the five and a half pounder. We put it in the box, don't think any of it. We call quick. And then we get the boat back on the trailer off, about to go way in. We open up the box and we're like, and it's like folded that. sideways in yeah. my <laughs> big live well. Like, I, those Triton live wells come way back underneath to like the battery compartment. And it was folded. And I was like, dude, that's like a 24 inch fish. Like, that's a giant for New York. Just to get beat out by Ryan and Ian for Lunker by 0.10 of a pound. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we open the live well and like you know it's big when the head is touching the wall and the tail's curled in like andy said and we're like dude that's a six pounder well we put it on the scales and it's a 648 so it was a six and a half so basically what went from a five turned into a five and a half and basically andy had a giant like biggest fish you've, you said you caught in like what six seven years something six like that? seven years yeah biggest largemouth i've caught probably six seven years yeah well, and then we get beat out by a whole pound. Guys just sacked them up. It was like 25.86. We had 24.86. And then it was 22 for third and then like 18 or something like that. So a little bit of a drop off to fourth. But either way, it was a lot of fun. We, we were saying it like either we got it in the bag or somebody really caught them. And if they do, we don't care because like we did everything we could with the means <laughs> that we had. So like we weren't mad, but like people smoked them. So yeah, it was, I think there was. There was two sixes. We had two over six. There was a small mouth just under six weighed in. And then another large mouth that was like five, nine, eight. So basically a six pounder. 
I think every team had like a five and a half or bigger oh, yeah. in their boat. Like absolutely time. insane. It yeah. was the perfect storm. We got there. It was cloudy, downpouring the whole way. And the temp dropped throughout the day. So the barometric pressure continued to drop through the day. And they just chewed literally all day. And then at the day, it got sunny and caught a six and a half. So yeah. it's like, <laughs> what is going on? Well, I think speaking on a perfect storm, and this dude had a perfect storm for absolutely AOI, uh, for, to win Northern Opens AOI. Um, incredible. Let's just get him. What's that? Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Let's just get him on here because we've been talking for almost 10 minutes. We told him five. Yeah, uh, five, eight, eight rabbit holes. Kelly, what's going on, dude? What's going on, guys? Thanks Congrats. For Thank you. I apologize for lying and saying that we would chat for four or five minutes. And you do not realize how hard that was to listen to you guys talk about how great <laughs> fall fishing is. And you said it in the end. You were like, in the north. Because right now I'm in the south. And it's a grind down here. <laughs> They're doing what you guys are doing right now. <laughs> yeah, come on up when you get home. I don't think you're that far from us, right? But no, four no, hours. I don't even think it's that far. I think what, like where, what, what is home three hours and twenty minutes for me. What is home for you, John? Uh Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yeah, you're oh. about three and a half. Oh right, yeah, we talked about this. I used to play hockey down in Scranton all the time. Yep. Well, dude, what are you doing? Get get back up here. Well, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck down here trying to win $200,000 at this one tournament that's going on down here in, in the south, so I have no choice. <laughs> Wait, which tournament is this? The MLS Toyota Championship. Oh, well, yeah, that one. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, dude, I have, to be, I have to be straight here. I am a little jealous because beyond Lake Erie or Lake Ontario, you are in one of my favorite places on the entire planet. As much as people say they hate Lake Chickamauga, I absolutely love that place because you can do 12,000 different things and catch fish. Well, uh, I like this place, but fortunately, unfortunately, the tournament's not here. The tournament's at Pickwick. Oh. I'm just here right now because it's off limits at Pickwick. So instead of driving 16 hours back home, it made more sense for me to just stay here for a couple of days and then head back down. Well, I am still jealous that you're here. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but, dude, before we get too deep into this thing, uh, for folks who may not know you, obviously you won the uh, Bassmaster Northern Opens AOI, so huge congrats on that. But uh, let's hear about how it all started, like how you got into bass fishing, who got you into it, first fish you caught, whole nine yards. Uh, I got into it when I was – I was actually so young, I don't remember my first fish. I was probably three, maybe four years old, and uh, my dad is the one who introduced me to it. So I – I know we, you know, just started off fishing from the bank on the Susquehanna River, which is just by our house. So I'm assuming that might be where I caught my first fish, but it's been that long that I don't remember. Dang. Hmm. Uh, okay, so it's like, was it a, was it a smallie? Was it a largie? There'd be a smallie there. Ah, okay. so that's where it all started. Right. So, like, how did you get into tournaments? Like, how was what was your route into all that? Uh, well, at, we, we didn't ever have like high school fishing around me or anything like that. So I started fishing tournaments when I was like seven or eight years old with my dad, just, you know, small local club stuff. And actually one of the first couple of tournaments we started doing was night tournaments The Lake Bias had tournaments from 10 at night till 6am. My mom hated it because <laughs> I was a, essentially still a baby and my dad was taking me out all throughout the night and we were fishing night tournaments in the dark. So she was petrified to 
allow him to do that. But, you know, we, it's just what we like to do. And, you know, the tournaments were always on the weekend. So it worked out for both of us. And that's kind of how I got into it. First got my first taste of tournament fishing. And then after that, uh, moving up into college, I fished the college series when I went to coastal Carolina. How was the uh, the college route for you? I mean, I feel like people always talk about the you know what's what's more advantageous for guys. Is it, do you take the college route or do you do you get a job right out of college and you know fish the BFLs, fish the Opens? You know, there's people that debate different routes. But how do you feel about your route taking you know the whole college way? Of I think the college route is sometimes taken for granted. Uh, when you say like you know in my situation when I made that next level, a big question like I get is well, how can you catch them other than where you just caught them to qualify? But in college, I had the opportunity to see so many different lakes. Like I spent, you know, a handful of tournaments down in Florida, Tennessee, Alabama throughout my college career because I did go to a Southern school. So that was kind of my advantage. Mm-hmm. I lived in PA and I went to a school in South Carolina. So that might be like a bonus, you know, for me because I did get to experience different types of water in that sense. So I really do think that was huge, you know, for my standpoint going forward. Yeah, I, I can see how that's kind of like well-versed you in terms of like, especially in this prep for the Elite Series, right? I mean, that's yeah. being able to at least just, just being able to see a certain body of water, it can give you uh, maybe not an advantage, but a, a, a better sense of mind when you're going to these bodies of water, especially being that you're from the north. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you, just, you just see so many different styles you know, when you fish down south, like from, you know, the deep reservoirs, the, you get those clay bank lakes that, you know, that those are very unique. Those are one of the hardest lakes to figure out at first. When you first learning those, it could be really confusing. It's just uh, typically the debate on those lakes move a lot. So, you know, to really get into a pattern on those style of lakes, is tough, but like, it is good to, you know, you know, spend that time on and learn them. And I think I've done that, you know, to at least have an idea going into those styles of lakes. What was uh what was home body water for you at Coastal? Mm, Winyabe. Winyabe. Oh, that's so place one. Yeah. You you got the grinder mentality then from that place. <laughs> and also where you're at in uh northeastern PA, a lot of those lakes up there are grinder lakes as well, especially in the summertime. So I know a little bit about paw pack. So <laughs> from grinder to grinder. That's <laughs> where I was referring to when I said we started fishing the night tournaments. That was yeah. It, yeah. It's a big lake, but uh, I hear there's some giants in it, but it's tough to figure them out. Yeah. How much do you think that played into your success this year in the Opens? Do you do you credit just being a northerner that you may have been familiar with those bodies of water? Or was it maybe because you know, having a grinder mentality, especially if you did well at Oneida, you had to have had that grinder mentality for the way that place fished? Yeah, I mean, for the first one at the James, like, I credit that all to experiencing my time at Winyah Bay. Like, no doubt, the, those few years at school, being right there, that taught me a lot about a title fishery and that style of fishing. You know, it's title and there's there's no grass. You're fishing pads, you're fishing wood. So that's kind of how the James set up. And, you know, I kind of rolled with it. And that was a huge benefit, especially getting off to a good start at the beginning of the year. That was one of the biggest things. Right. Or just do what Joe LaBarbera said, which Joe, by the way, sent me a text saying he was going to pick on you tonight. I don't know if you guys have history, but uh, he said drive 90 minutes to the Finger Lakes instead. 
Old Joe. Old Joe so always where? finds his way into the show. <laughs> but uh, but dude, I, here's what I want to do. I uh, obviously congrats on qualifying for the elite series, and we're going to talk about kind of what is to come for you. Uh, obviously, this spring when the season starts, but uh, I want to backtrack and start at the James River and kind of walk through your tournament practice, what was going through your head, and how each day of the tournament helped you. And we'll kind of we're going to do that for Oneida and St. Lawrence, just kind of hear how the season went for you, maybe some adjustments you made, things that went well, lessons learned, all that. We want to hear it all. Maybe even thought process too, like all leading right, so- up into it, like prepping. Yeah, so for the James, I went down for two days just to see it prior to the Open, like that like week of the Open. Uh, I, I had a BFL at the Chesapeake Bay in like the end of April. So after the BFL, I drove down, I think it was an extra like three hours or so, to the James, and I spent uh, Sunday and Monday there just to kind of, you know, get a feel for it. And kind of I just wanted to use that as, you know, a way to determine – do I run or do I stay up top? And that's kind of what I, you know, that little pre-practice I did. So then when I came back uh, for the tournament, you know, I picked an area, you know, I ended up running. I picked an area where I thought, you know, I should do well. And in the 40 minutes of my first day of practice, I had over 20 pounds on deck. Oh, so when I, when I caught that, it was like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I knew this place was good in the spring, but I said I didn't know it could be that good. Like I was like, maybe I just you know dumped into them. So I was like, let's go try to mimic this pattern somewhere else and see if it works. Somewhere else, and I caught like 18 pounds in the first couple casts, and I was like, okay, like this has to be happening for everybody. So I kind of you know started trying different patterns, and I was still catching fish the whole. I was like, you know, I guess the bite is just on, you know, and everyone's going to catch them, and. You no, know, I just kept down, you know, I kept, you know, my options open for the first couple of days of practice. And every day was like the day of practice. That was uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. I honestly thought I was going to win in 25 pounds three days in a row. Like it, it was incredible. And then on, like every day got colder and colder and colder. On Tuesday, I noticed it's just, they weren't happening like they did the first three days. And then on day we had a gas shortage that week. So nobody practiced on Wednesday. So going into the tournament on the first day, you know, I just, you know, I, I knew where to potentially catch a big bag. So I ran for it. And when I got there, where the, I had a couple areas, but my main area I stopped and it was 59 degree water temp. In practice, it was 70 to 71. But right then I knew I was in trouble. So after that, you know, I kind of just thought I could fall back on some wood because of that cold, cold front changed everything. And when I go out to the main floor of wood, there was boats everywhere on it. So I was like, you know what? I can get in line and just, you know, settle for an average bag, or I can go back to where I, you know, thought I could catch big bags and just, you know, park it and just sit there and just grind on them and see if I can, you know, get a bite here and a bite there. And that's what I did. Essentially, I had five or six areas that, I figured I could catch over 18 pounds in each one. And that first day, I caught a good fish in every single spot, but I only caught one. I don't know if it was just that lucky to help the last fish that was there. But whatever was there, I think I was catching that last wave moving up, he left. 
Like you completely just right tail the Damn. And grinder. <laughs> yeah. Florida <laughs> fishing on the James. It it's crazy to see like how good it was and to see how fast it changed. Cause like once that first day happened, I was kind of like, all right, well, I settled for that bag, but I was like, I don't think I can do that again. So I was like, you know, hope we do different on day two. So I completely scrapped what I had and started on something different day two. I didn't catch a fish. So I went back down to the chip where I was fishing, you know, didn't catch anything. So I just changed up a pattern where I just caught little ones in practice. It was more of like a deep channel swing. And I ended up catching 14 pounds or something. So I had another good bag on day two. And again, I was like, all right, I can just run down to there for day three and catch those fish again. You know, it's tidal, it's a refill. Ran down there on day three, didn't have a bite. So it was kind of every day we just fishing on the fly, uh, you know, just trying to survive. It, it, it turned into that tournament for a lot of people, I think. I'm sure some people were on them like I was on them. I didn't really talk to many people. I know some struggled, but. From what I seen, it was just fishing too good, but that cold front really affected us. And we had severe low tide that really affected it a lot as well. It really sucked them out even harder than the cold water probably did. Mm -hmm. I I had one. I never got to fishing in the tournament, but I was basically, I was putting my boat across a flat and there was grass in the back and they were in there, but I never was even... I couldn't even try to get back there in the tournament. So I don't even know Here's, if they were still there or not. Hmm. Yeah. What's what's really interesting to me is like I saw some guys that I knew and saw some people on social that were that were going through the same thing that you were going through in terms of a grinder. And a lot of people what they do is when things get tough, they either downsize, they slow down, they finesse down. Uh I'm, this is where I'm gonna this is going to lead to a question here, which I'm curious about in terms of you as an angler, but Brandon Polinick won it throwing an eight inch mag draft, big swim baits, like complete other spectrum. Like you hear about guys when things are tough going a certain way, either you downsize or you upsize. And he's like, I think one of the only guys that upsized and proved to work out for him. When, when you're going through and you know, it's going to be a grinder, are you a downsizer or there's, is there times when you know to upsize, you know, how do you know when to make that adjustment? I like downsizing, but I didn't make that adjustment. I stayed big. I mean, I was throwing a chatterbait with a four-inch swim bait on it. To some people, that's kind of big. Moving uh, water. Especially with a cold front, that is big. And then mm-hmm. I was also throwing just a normal crankbait, square bill, normal size. I didn't downsize that. And I was throwing a big bug bait, like the big war eagle with the giant blade. I mean, I didn't get many bites on it after that cold front hit, but I still caught uh, – I think I caught one fish I weighed in per day on that bug bait. So I didn't, I kind of, you know, had the same mentality as him. I didn't go as big as he did on that spectrum, but I stayed with what I was doing. And there were some, a boat or two around me in the areas that I did catch fish. And like, they're just sitting there with a spinning rod and they were catching a couple, but when they did get bit, they were catching a pound or two pounder. So, you know, I I wasn't going to try to, you know, match them fish for fish. If it was only that size, I was just trying to get, you know, a couple bites and just make sure they were the right ones. Sounds like Polinick had some brush pile deal. Joe said his deal was totally specific and it was off the bank. So it sounds like maybe something he kind of had to himself, but, um, but dude, it's the gr- if you can last the grinders, that's, I mean, you know, you're going to be successful, right? I mean, 
if you can make it through the grinders, one, those are the lessons you're going to learn the most. Yep. Two, those are going to stick with you, the, the adjustments you make, because you'll find yourself in similar positions, especially if you find more years like the elites had this past year and the amount of grinders that they had. Oh, so if it stays that way, I yeah. think you'll be okay. But um, moving Grinders on to, are going to grind. Yeah. And talking <laughs> about a grind, moving on to uh, Oneida, which was – Honestly, God awful compared to the James, and it sounds like the James was a grind. Uh, walk us through Oneida. You know, going into the, the amount of people that were like, especially after the first one when, you know, I finished in the top 10, they're like, you're in a great spot. You got through the hard one. And I was like, I, I did a hard no, one before the, you know, <laughs> before the events. I knew what we were getting into exactly what Oneida was going to offer, and that was a little worse on us than I had expected. I knew it wasn't going to be a walk in the park. I even, you know, I knew it was going to be very challenging. Oneida gets at the end of July, and I I really think that going my biggest, like, you know, the biggest one for me, Oneida, that was the, the hump tournament. That was the one for sure. Yeah. So, so like, when I when I went, good. I don't, I don't know if, if you want to tell the story or not. <laughs> Joe LaBarber says, "Tell us how day one and Oneida started. Tell him what you said to him about getting wet." Don't know if that's a story we want on here, but if it is, by all means, let it rip. <laughs> <laughs> day one. Oh, day one. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember day one. Yeah, I, I tried to forget day one. I kind of forgot about it. <laughs> So, typical night of fashion, one starts, I don't know, what do we like? It's calm as can be, and I'm in the first flight. And I'm like, I'm going to go throw top water, and I'm going to catch, you know, two or three fish right off the bat, and I'll be good. Didn't really think about the wind factor kicking up, but typical night. So I run to my spot. I get there, throw top water, no I didn't catch anything. So I was tucked around the corner. So I didn't think I was there for 30 minutes. And I'm like, all right, let's move. Now I'm still in a pair of sweatpants and a hoodie. I take off around that corner. Like a four or five foot waves comes over the bow and so both of us. And I'm in, like I said, stick in the hoodie. So this, okay, let's just run to where we're going and see what happens. I'm already wet. So then we get to my second spot and it starts raining. So I'm like, all right, you're on. You're in a hoodie up to it. It's already soaked. You can leave this on. You can strip down and put the rain gear on. But then that gets wet. What are you going to wear off the water? So I was like, I'll tough it out. A wet hoodie and a wet pair of sweatpants all day. And it rained and rained and rained. And waves kept splashing over the bow or side. And Macho man. It was one of the most miserable times. <laughs> oh, gosh. You learned that one. <laughs> oh yeah, I learned that Iron Man you Award. Put your reindeer on and start the day. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds like Central New York, all right? <laughs> yeah, wind forecast for Oneida: two out of the south get to Oneida, blows fifteen out of the east. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it was that day. <laughs> or like thirty out of the east, and you come out of. 
what is it? Um, I can't never remember the name of the launcher. You come out, you hang a right, and there's like five footers coming down the lake, and you're just like, all right, mm-hmm. <laughs> play down the trailer. So that first day. Yeah, I think we got a delay here, but yeah, go ahead, John. Sorry. I said that first day was like a nightmare. Like just the decisions made were were terrible. <laughs> I I glad I overcame that day. <laughs> what was uh, what was your ratio like? Did you have all green? Did you have some brown mixed in? Like at the at the end of the tournament, like how many brown to green fish did you have? I only caught three smallmouth day, and. Okay. The- Completely bailed on smallmouth and just largemouth fish. Nice. I know a lot of guys live and died on smallmouth, and it seems like the guys that had both were the guys that were successful. But the th- the top three, I think, were predominantly all smallmouth, mm-hmm. which is that's how usually how Nida rock oh Nida rocks, unfortunately. But uh, let's uh, let's move on to the, the last. What's that? I said it changed there. You used to be able to catch a lot more smallmouth and largemouth mixed. Right. Okay. I think uh, I think we – are you off your phone right now, John? Yeah, I'm not on it. I'm not, oh, okay. Um, the service is a little shaky, so we got a little delay right now. Um, let me uh, let me try removing you real quick and bringing you back to see if that helps. Oh, okay, he's like, what's that? The TV was hooked up to Netflix. I shut that off. Ah. Okay. We'll, we'll give that a rip. But uh, I, I was talking to a lot of different guys and they were saying how everyone was catching them. And this is, this is typical Oneida. Um, it's one of the, the fisheries that I found. And when I talked to a lot of people, it's, one of the most pressure sensitive lakes, I think, in almost in the country. I mean, I, people can argue that. Um, but like guys were sacking them up. Guys had 18, 20 pounds in practice. But when you have 200 boats in the lake for two weeks, I think pressure ultimately just got to those fish. And that's why it was so brutal in terms of one, bag weights, but two, people not having a limit on both days of the tournament. It was, it was tough on a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think it was very tough on people who were predominantly power fishing. Those were the guys I think that struggled the most, but the guys that were able to know that there's an area, a lot of fish slow down. Those were the guys that were proving successful, which it sounds like that's what you did. Yeah. But, uh, the, what I see, I was, one of, I was one of those guys on that 18 to 20 pounds of smallmouth. Uh, you were only getting like six to seven bites a day. So that kind of made it hard for me. Uh, that first day, I uh, I only had the, the short day. I had the two o'clock check-in. So when it when it got rough, I knew I had to commit to something because to bail on the smallmouth when I had such a good practice, largemouth fishing just wasn't. It just didn't. So I kind of toughed it out, and I noticed. I think what happened was didn't have any rough, you know days and Nida can be decent when it gets rough but our tournament days were super rough I think that really affect thing when when you can get like a one two foot chop on Oneida it's usually pretty good 
but we had like straight four or five foot waves. And I think that really affected things a lot. You know, it, it affected anglers ability to fish, but it also just affected how the fish were setting up. I know for one, like the way I was catching them, I was catching them in like six to 10 feet and those were just pulling up feeding on like the car days. And I was catching them, you know, power fishing. And I think what happened and I, from what I seen a lot of guys doing smallmouth fishing that did do well, everyone just, you know, they slid out and they were just on those drops and like that, you know, 12 to 16 feet. And that's how they ended up catching their fish on really rough days. But that, you know, that just, it's what, you know, it's what happens sometimes when it gets that rough, you kind of have no choice and that's what you have to do. You can't efficiently fish those, you know, a little bit shallower fish. Yeah, it's, you know, when, like we said earlier, and Andy and I were chatting about our, our weekend this past weekend. Like, obviously, the nastier, the better, the more fish will chew, the more, you know, when conditions change and it, it makes them easier to uh, hone in on bait fish that obviously struggle in that type of environment. Uh, obviously, the fishing gets better, but then there comes a point where there's a threshold where it just becomes harder on the fishermen. The fish are still active. It's just more of like, it just mm-hmm. impedes on your efficiency, which it makes, which it was both days. The wind was absolutely ripping, uh, which which really sucks for just about everybody. But uh, either way, you survived that one. You survived the the monster called Oneida with two hundred plus boats. So bravo! Uh, and then I guess yeah, moving the on. Biggest to the thing on that one What's that? The biggest thing on that one was fishing. The biggest thing was bailing on the smallmouth and fishing for largemouth into that tournament i never thought 12 to 15 pounds of largemouth would play and that's that's a big lesson learned you know don't don't always think you need to have a certain weight because you could be wrong and I, I was the first day yeah i think in a tournament like that just staying consistent on smallmouth or largemouth in general is a, a mission accomplished in itself because it's it can be so hard especially oneida is known for having stingy fish that do not stay in one spot uh, largemouth especially like mm-hmm. people talk about them being ghosts so they're there one day and they're gone the next like you they seem so consistent and they're largemouth so you think they're lazy but in, in Oneida for some reason they're not that way uh so bravo on I'm, I'm sticking to that but let's move on to the last open at the St. Lawrence River obviously you were sitting very good going into that one uh and I kind of want to hear one your, your your thought process your mental state going into that last open uh, and kind of maybe how that affected practice, maybe how it, uh, you know, affected your tournament, you know, maybe some things that you might have sacrificed just to make sure you're being safe. Uh, I want to hear all about St. Lawrence River and leading up to it. Well, leading up to it, I fished the Toyota series up in Messina prior to the open. So I kind of had an idea of, I just like, so that's kind of where I knew I was going to be no matter I never even spent any time from um, just above Alex Bay up the river. Everything was from there to the mouth and then into the lake even. So going into it, you know, I had, you know, everyone sees St. Lawrence River and they're like, I got to fish on or Ontario. I got to fish Ontario. And I mean, I don't need that doc talk. So I kind of was like ignoring it, but I, one day I'll go out there, I'll try it. And I went out there and I good on Ontario the one day like to the point where it was like it was smallmouth Disneyland on the graph <laughs> they were loaded <laughs> everywhere and I was like this is crazy 
And then two days later, I went to the same spot and I couldn't even catch a bass. So right then and there, I was like, you know what, what's that? What's on the line? This is not a smart decision. If I could stick in the river, 20 pounds a day could get me into the elites. So I kind of just put 95% of my time into the river at that point. And that's just where I lived and died by the river. And going into it, that, that would be more consistent for me. I know some guys like to fish the lake and they think that's more consistent, but I knew the river bite was where I needed to be catch, you know, the bags I needed to make it kind of what I was fishing for. You know, I obviously fished to win, but you know, I was fishing to win, but I was like, make the elites and I didn't want to blow it by taking to go out on the lake and again, too rough or I break something stuck or break down. So I felt like the most sensible option for me was in the river and I stayed close. I only ran 10 miles at the most. That's smart. Well, but, did, uh, so on the, you made the final day. So, I mean, did you, did you run to the lake at all for the, try to see if those fish were there to try to even swing for a win? Cause you were in fourth going to the last day, weren't you? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I stuck with what I had. I truly think so. Where I fished, I knew that area pretty well, that whole section. of the But in practice, I had 27 pounds different section of the river. So, but the only problem that was in that practice, I had the 27 pounds one day. And it was just one fish here, one fish there, one fish there. And it wasn't like that's how it would have been. It's just I was practicing. So I pull up to an area, I catch one, I'd be like, all right, let's mimic it, move on. So I would do that and I had 27 pounds. So the day after that, I was like, okay, we have to like, you know, see if that'll work again. Went back to that same region of the river, different spots again. And I had 22 pounds, like the first two hours. I was like, that's an option. So I also didn't know if that would be a consistent bite though. Cause I caught those fish so spread out. You know, I was a little worried that if I did choose to say, you know, start there on day one, would I struggle to get five or six? You know what I mean? Like to actually get a handful of fish, I didn't want to have that, take that chance essentially. So I went to where I thought I could catch 20 pounds. That's how I, you know, my game plan was where can you go and catch 20 pounds? And that's the first day I had almost 25. So they grew up a little bit. And then the second day I had almost 25 again. So they were still there. And the third day they were actually still there. I started. And I caught a limit right away. But on that third day, something something changed. I had to catch them a different way every day. So the first day, I pulled up and I spot locked. And I had one, it was like one or a little ridge that swung one way. And then the current swung the opposite way. So it like missed each other. And I just spot locked and made the same cast. And I caught 25 pounds in 20 minutes. Too much. So I, at that rate. At that rate, I was like, okay, I'm like done with this. So I went and fished that other area of the, the river where I caught the 27 pounds, and I didn't see the quality like I didn't practice. But I still caught fish, but nothing to call up what I already had. So the second day, same thing. I pulled up, spot locked, and in the first 10 cast, I caught two over four, a three and three quarters. And I lost two that were bigger than the two that I, like the biggest ones I landed. So right there, I was like, you had your shot at 22 pounds, 23. You could have been done for the day and the bite just shut off. 
So like I kept, in, you know, making the same cast and I could see fish up there where I was casting, you know, they come in and out. They just weren't biting. So I was like, okay, I got to start drifting. So I would start drifting over the spot and my calling, I started whacking them. Like <laughs> <laughs> typical St. Lawrence. <laughs> And, the and I, always has the upper hand. <laughs> it, was, it, was buddy, it was my buddy, too. We stayed in the house all week. <laughs> oh, man. So he starts whacking them, and I'm getting frustrated. Like he's probably catching four to my one. And when I get bit, it was a small one. So I was like, all right, what can you do? So I basically had to ignore the fact that he was going to catch them, and I just had to you know, focus on getting one bite. You know, Because realistically, I only needed two more good fish. So – you know, I, I eventually caught two decent ones and it got to the point where I was like, if I could catch two more big ones, it's over. Like I knew kind of like, you know, I was at like 20 pounds. I think at that point, if I caught two more decent fish, I'd have what I need to for sure make the elites and uh, couldn't get bit. The drift started, you know, slowing. They weren't getting bit either. I kind of like started, you know, poking around and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to pick up a drop shot and graph fish. And that's what I did. And I ended up catching a five and then a six pounder just on the graph, just dropping down. And then my calling got pretty frustrated with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're battling for the elites at that point. Yeah. I, personally, if I was your buddy, I probably, after I had my limit, I would have set my rod down and be like, all right, buddy, go catch what you need. But I mean, I'm not going to say that out loud. I'll go, I'll, I'll go one leg up on that and be like, Andrew, if I was your co and you were about to make the elites, I don't think I would have brought a rod that day. I brought a six pack, a camera, and I would have just watched your fish. <laughs> that, 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 that is fair as well. I mean, I I think I to backtrace there like yeah I would probably would have only fished if you told me to and once I had my limit I still would have stopped. <laughs> yeah, like, well, that was he had like fourteen pounds the first day, so yeah, <laughs> he was trying to get up there. Yeah, yeah I probably would have turned back at my buddy and been like, "You catch one more fish over three pounds, you in. and this drop shot weight is going at your head." <laughs> <laughs> There was some times I turned around, I was like, what in the hell are you doing? And he's like, nothing. He's like, I'm just dragging it. And I'm like, okay, so I'm just moving too much with the boat, and that's why you're getting bit. And that's, yeah. that's what it was. So well, I went out the Sunday. I fished that one as a co. That Sunday uh, leading into the event, I fished with Matt Pangrak out there. And he's asking me, he's like, what are some small things I could do to get an advantage out here? And I was like, if you can learn to drift downriver with the bow of your boat, facing forward like you facing the front you will have the advantage but if you drift eat the easy way with the the back of the boat obviously going down river first your co-angler is going to stick all the fish before you do not all of them but like yeah chances are usually the bigger fish eat first they're going to stick the bigger one yeah so if you can learn to point your trolling motor down river and keep it efficient i mean that's the way to do it and it's, it's unfortunate it's nice as a co-angler don't get me wrong but yeah. as a boater, it, it's tough to fish the river. But it's nice that you obviously still got the mission accomplished. Otherwise, I think uh, you and your buddy probably would have not had some nice words <laughs> after that. <laughs> Duking it out. I do agree with that drifting. But, like, the way it was for me, like, I had to drift going down it because mm-hmm. I found that I could be going and I could be shooting that scope at the same time while I'm drifting. And if I can potentially see a fish light up on that scope, I would start trolling in that direction. And then that boat would be turned sideways and I would get the drift over that fish. So I was more so kind of trying to 
scope them and drift them at the same time. Smart. Interesting tactics. That's some juice right there, I yeah. think, for the, for boaters that can't solve the uh, the co angler challenge on St. Lawrence. <laughs> now you can only do that on the lower part where the current's not as strong. If you try to do that in Waddington or Messina, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna do some damage to your boat. You're gonna put the boat on shore. You're you're gonna hit something. <laughs> yeah, that river that river has some gnarly spots. Yeah, but at the same point in time, I think being able to find and acknowledge that you have an area that serves as a funnel for two different current seams that are coming down, that's pretty cool, dude. Like, because a lot of people would see that and be like, oh, like there's two different current things. They're right next to each other where not many people can like realize the fact that they're coming, hitting each other. And you knew to pin yourself right there to hit, the, to consistently fish that point where they're hitting. I mean, that's, that takes some intuition there. Quick question. That's some Susquehanna knowledge, isn't it? <laughs> I guess we'll call it that. <laughs> so either you grew up fishing a river system, like a creek or a big river system, to understand how current works, or you're a trout fisherman and from like fly fishing for trout to understand how current seams work and how smallmouth set up to on them. I personally, I started my fishing endeavor as a steelhead fisherman, so I love fishing current. Because they work hand in hand with each other, and you just learn the little nuances and how those fish will sit there. And those are details that a lot of people miss. So yeah, kudos to you for picking that up. Yeah, it definitely takes some time, and you know, it gets to the point where you you get familiar with it. And once you kind of start getting an idea with it, you can almost like visually see it, and you can almost say, "Okay, well, there's probably a good chance I can get bit right there." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Joe says susky for life. <laughs> So you fish the Susky a lot or like at least, a, no, not at all. Probably not since I was like three, four, five years old. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, man. That's I'm dying funny. to go fish that place. I'm actually like debating a uh, buddy of mine, Jake Harshman's down there. He fishes that place all the time. Uh, I'm from that kayak. I'm debating on taking my Hobie down there in November because I heard the Susquehanna is absolutely stupid in, in fall. Like no. most northern places, but. Or are you no. talking about like the Susquehanna down by the bay or like the upper part? I think the upper. I think he's the upper towards the. Uh, what's the bridge with the 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 famous little, little Statue of Liberty? You know what I'm talking about. That's like mid PA. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, because the only Susquehanna River fishing I do now is just when we're at the Chesapeake Bay, just like the the okay, bottom. Oh, okay. Well, dude, uh, obviously it worked out in your favor. So, I, you know, post post St. Lawrence River. Um, but like, when did you find out what were your initial thoughts? I mean, did you find out before day three? Did you, that you made the elites? Yeah. Uh, after day, you know, after day one, I kind of seen where, cause I had to, you know, essentially jump some guys to make it. Cause I was sitting in fifth, I think going into that last event right. after day one, I was leading and I kind of seen like, you know, the guy in second, his weight, guy in third, his weight and so on. So I kind of had an idea you know, my idea was catch 20 pounds and you're probably going to be pushing it. But if you could do more on day two, you're in. And that's kind of what my goal was. That's like when I was telling you earlier, when I had 20 pounds on that second day, like I was like, eh, I might be in, but two more fish would guarantee it. So when I did catch those other two fish, I knew it was like, you know, mathematically over, like you realistically would have, I think those other guys would have had to catch like a 29 pound bag. And that, that's kind of hard to do. So yeah. I, knew, I knew on day two weigh in that it that i w would make it in no matter what 
So what was one that feeling going home that day after day two? And then how freeing was it for you on day three going to fish, knowing you accomplished your goal? And basically you get a fun fishing day where if you do well, you win 35 grand. Yeah, uh, after day two, we actually went out that night. My family was up, uh, a bunch of friends were up, the guys that stayed in the house with us. So like, there's like 15 of us, we all went out for dinner. So I really didn't think much of it. They were all kind of like, you know, it was getting late at that point. It was like 9, 30, 10 o'clock. They're like, dude, did you rig yet? And I'm like, no, I'll just do it. <laughs> I'll just do it in the morning. <laughs> and then we went back to the house and my buddy who rode with me all week as my co, like for practice, he's like, I got to check your boat. Where's your spray? Where's your, your uh, cloth? And I'm like, why? He's like, I got to tighten all your bolts, all your screws. I'm going to like clean your boat up for you. And I'm like, dude, just, it's fine. And he's like, no, you go inside, get showered up, get situated. He's like, I'll take care of the boat. So he buckled everything down on the boat for me. I woke up the next morning, the boat was covered, ready to go. What a nice guy. Wow. What a friend. I, <laughs> I would have never done that. Had him on the back in a six pack. I mean, that, <laughs> what a good guy. He probably felt guilty for catching all those fish behind you. <laughs> no, that was my practice partner, not the one that actually fished with me in the tournament. Oh, right. So he was a good friend. We caught some fish. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> but for the third day, yeah, I just I fished free on the third day. Uh, where I was fishing, I, I started there in the morning, and those fish, you know, they were doing something different, and uh, they weren't eating right away like they were the previous two days. So uh, I caught what I had. I weighed in like almost 15 pounds. I caught that right right away from in the start of the morning, and my plan was to kind of just leave them and you know come back at that right time because we had some wind blowing in, and it was going to start kicking up and getting rough. And I actually timed it wrong i got back and it was it was it was blowing like crazy in there and they were actually blowing into me in towards the bank so i couldn't set up and cast like i was because i was just taking waves over the side as i was trying to fish so it kind of just popped the wash and then after that i tried to run and i swung a blade on my prop i couldn't get the prop off because it was put on with an impact gun so i had to idle three and a half miles back to the ramp to my truck to get power tools. So that way like two hours. Huh. But I didn't care. <laughs> yeah, at that yeah, point you're like, well, all right, we're gonna goal. Better day three than you know day one or two. Even after that, like when I got the my spare prop on, like I, I looked out there and seen how rough it was and I was like, well, you can run back over to that other section of the river where you know you had the twenty seven pounds of practice, but it was so rough I was like it doesn't make sense to, you know, to try to get all the way over there and, you know, break something or essentially, you know, start running and not even be able to get there. So I never did. I kind of just, you know, just started fishing, having fun with it. And it, it kind of, it is what it is at that point. Yeah. You're living Either life. Way. You're just enjoying the outdoors. <laughs> yeah. You're just there because you made the top 10. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm just here so I won't get fined. That, I was just about to say that the old Marshawn Lynch. I'm just here so I don't get fined. Well, dude, dude. Either way, congratulations. Obviously, it's a huge feat uh, qualifying for the elites, and obviously, winning a division in the opens is an incredible accomplishment because people are saying more and more often now that the opens are probably the hardest trail to not one just do well in, but to uh, win AOI. So tough as balls, dude. So congratulations. Uh, I think right now uh, we're going to get into some, some fun questions here in a second, but uh, 
now with the elite season, you know, on the horizon for you and getting ready for it, you've been stepping up your social game, which if you guys aren't following him on social media, uh, down in the show notes or just YouTube description, you guys can follow him on Instagram and Facebook. But uh, what are what are some hurdles for you? What are some things you're excited for? Uh, I hear about some challenges and some some fun mm-hmm. things that are obviously have uh, arose now that you've qualified for the Bassmaster Elite Series. And I'm going to add one little tidbit here. Something that you're looking forward to and something you're not looking forward to next year on the Elite Series that may or may not happen. Well, I'm going to give you the not looking forward to part. All that driving, that schedule. <laughs> very far. <laughs> yeah. just, ask your buddy, just ask your buddy that cleans your boat. I'm sure he'll drive you around. <laughs> Chauffeur for free. Oh, I'll let him drive. I'll fly there. <laughs> there you go. Even better. All right, Scott Martin. <laughs> you were learning something here. Yeah. <laughs> I had to pull a map out to figure out where that was. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's hear about it. Some challenges, all that jazz, something you're looking forward to. All nine yards. Uh, biggest challenge is, you know, just, you know, getting into it and learning the business side of it. You know, as, as a rookie going into it, you know, it's, it's, it's a change. It's, not just a change in fishing, but it's a change in your lifestyle. You know, you have to kind of learn to adapt and, you know, I'm willing to do that. Uh, You have to, you know, learn how to really reach out and, you know, sell yourself, but also support anyone who does support you in the end, essentially going into next season. Uh, That's kind of been the biggest challenge so far is, you know, just getting, you know, my name out there and making contacts. That's, it's always going to be the hardest part. It's in it, any job. It's just, if you're looking for a job, it, you have to get in touch with somebody. You have to, you know, apply. You have to, you know, show off yourself, promote yourself. And that's kind of the big, that's the biggest uh, hurdle I've experienced so far. Yeah. What do you, uh, so Kyle Pillars is asking what guys on, uh, he's curious about what guys on tour do when they fish at a high level. Um, you know, when you're not fishing, is there something that you do as a, a side gig, something as like a, uh, a way of, being comfortable when you're on the road to try to have some financial backing. Uh, is mm-hmm. there anything you do on the side besides fish? Yeah. Well, to answer his question, some guys do, some guys have full-time careers uh, and some don't, some, you know, you know, fish, some guys have like you, you said earlier, Brandon Paul and I, Connor Shryak, they all have very well YouTube platforms and social media mm-hmm. gigs going on. Uh, but I personally do, I work for my dad. Uh, he owns a construction business. So we do plaster stucco and drive at work on the side. And then during the winter times, when that slows, we do, uh, snow removal. Nice. So he's, he's always grinding, Andy. Hard working man. Grind don't stop I for like Jonathan that. Kelly. That's good. He, he learned how to grind from a young age. Yeah. <laughs> good stuff. Uh, Joe is asking if you're going to travel with Hartman next year. Yes. I think that's a, a good guide to have going into your rookie elite season. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, I mean, the business side, we talked about it a little bit offline. Like the business side is such an important factor, especially from a sponsor level. I mean, there, I don't think beyond maybe a, a Jacob Wheeler or I don't know too many guys that could really have a, a, a really good living right now based off just tournament winnings. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's not many. There's, I mean, it's less than one percent. I would put it on. Uh, so like, you have to be business savvy in this industry, especially as an angler, uh, doing it for a living. And I think that's one thing you picked up on, as we mentioned. You, you've been stepping up your game with social media. Um, so bravo on that. And it's, it's just one thing, you know. 
Some guys like it. Some guys don't. If you can get creative, you can really find a niche. Um, but it, it's interesting to see how this industry has grown where it's not just fishing anymore. But it seems that you've been kind of molding around to that idea, so I think you'll be okay. But uh, Yeah, I kind of, I kind of, you know, I started getting into the social media, you know, more and more over the last year or two. That's kind of where it all started. You know, I know I wasn't, you know, I just, I couldn't get myself to do it when I was in college. Like I would do it, but I just minimal, like as much, as little as possible. And, you know, kind of after that, when I did, you know, last year I jumped in Toyota series, I was like, you know what, I got to start promoting things more, sell myself a little better. And I kind of, I did work for that and strive to, you know, clean up my Instagram. Like I try to, you know, keep it, good posts when you do post make sure they are good pictures make sure you're not posting you know blurry pictures or anything like that you know just have a nice display and that's kind of what i have strived to do over the last year as best as i could um you know continuously learning more and more about it as i do do it so i will continue to work to you know fulfill that awesome yeah that, that's that's always good some people think that quantity is is better than quality, but that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. But uh, dude, you're doing a good job, so keep it up. But uh, looking forward Bailey's to Bailey's the master, so ask him any questions you have. <laughs> I, I, I want to call I, me a master. I plug him with questions all the time, and he was like, "No, oh, no, no, <laughs> you're doing it all wrong." <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, look out, let me do it for you. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> 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 so, so, dude, I, uh, one tournament next year. What do you like? Which one are you looking forward to most on schedule? Uh, the first one at St. John's River. Just because okay. it's your first one, or is there any meaning I, to the St. John's? I like that place a lot. I like the way that place sets up. I kind of like, you know, that style of fishing has a little bit of title involved in some portions of it. So I, I definitely feel comfortable, at least, you know, for that being my first one, I'm glad that it definitely is. Uh, there's a bunch of other ones, like the schedule this year is really good. Like it, there's going to be some big fish caught and some big bass caught. I mean, you might see a couple of 30-pound bags at Santee Cooper if we hit it at the right time. So I, I guess that's yeah. a big question mark, right? Timing. Yeah, if it's the big if for a couple of them, big if mm-hmm. Andy and weather just this much excited for that one, just maybe like this much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're fishermen, we're this excited. <laughs> yeah, well, man, it's it's dude. I mean, talk about I want, this question will kind of lead into what you are as an angler, and then we'll kind of lead back to the schedule. But uh, one, I want to know. If you're an angler that likes to either be on the bank or off the bank, you know, power or finesse, and then uh, we'll, we'll dive into more from there. But let's start with that. Do you like to be on the bank or off the bank, or do you like to power fish or finesse fish? I like to be on the bank for largemouth, but off the bank for smallmouth. So it's a little twist. Okay. I like it. You know, it's so just power or finesse? Definitely power. Power. I was like the only guy throwing bait casters up at St. Lawrence for that last open. Ooh. I had Oh, I, I think we're gonna throw like, a little oh. sidebar in here with uh, Joe. We know he was throwing some heavy. Joe lines, will too. argue that one. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I, think, I, I think my co-angler actually told Joe what I caught him on the first day. Oh, oh. so Joe didn't find that himself. Oh. So we're throwing shade here now. 
Shots oh. across the bow. <laughs> I don't think it was the truth, but. <laughs> Indeed. Dean Metcalf was throwing a big cast in the majority of the time as well. Not only did Joe steal your pattern, but he fell in the lake at the launch. <laughs> <laughs> We're just giving Joe a hard time. <laughs> but uh, all right, so if you have you have one power technique, you have one finesse technique, which one do you pick? Like, what are you picking up for each? So you can one power technique, one finesse. What are you two? Finesse definitely dropped out. Whether it's for small mouth or large mouth, no doubt about that. Uh, I'll split it, you know, for both. For large mouth, I'm going to go with a spinner bait. For uh, small mouth, I'm going to go just, you know, drag in jig. I, I consider that power fishing. Like a big jig or like a finesse jig? <laughs> yeah, just a half ounce jig. But I mean, I, I fish it pretty aggressively sometimes. So I really don't, I kind of consider that as like a power finesse fishing. Okay. You know, I, I don't I hybrid. There. I don't really just sit there and just let the jig kind of sit there. You know, I'll I'll really bring that along, especially in that current. You know, you know how fast that current rolls sometimes. I I oh, think yeah. that is considered power fishing to me. Yeah, you can cover a lot of water in that current when you're you know just drifting with a drag and a jig. I think that's uh, you know give another lead to something. That was one way that I practiced at that St. Lawrence. I power fished a Carolina rig. I covered water with a trolling motor on a hundred with a Carolina rig. That's some talent. We came across a lot of fish. Like my buddy that practiced with me, he was like, I would have never thought to do this. He's like, this. So like you're casting the Carolina rig or you're on a hundred dragging it behind you? Depending on like, you know, where we were set up or like what the current presented us. Hmm. I've never heard of that. I, I don't think I have the cover a lot of it. Burning water. Uh, Andy, you got anything for uh, for Jonathan here before we hit him with the last question? Um, I think he covered it here pretty well. I just um, kind of want to know your mental makeup here. Are you somebody... When you start off a day, if you pull up in that first spot and you don't start catching them, do you start to spin and the wheels start turning real fast? Or can you just hunker down and grind it out? I know you said you're a grinder, but where does your mind actually go in that situation? Mm, I think I'm, I can usually keep my cool. I mean, the, the James River was definitely a testament of it. Like I said, I it was pretty incredible. I didn't even think you can catch that big of bags in there like I was catching in practice and to not – see that in the first 30 minutes of fishing like i really could have lost it that day for yeah. sure. but i settled down pretty good and i, I think it just you know you, you learn that as time comes you know you go back and in like college my college years definitely affected me a little more i was a little more you know spun out uh i had times where if i had a bad day i would you know continue having bad days it's i kind of you know keep a clean slate and you know if something goes wrong just push it away and move on that's kind of how i definitely have grown the last year or two and i think that's important for taking that next step yeah it's one of the hardest things to do is to stay focused when everything's going wrong so kudos so before our last question here uh joe is apparently feeling himself tonight because he's got another question here and he said, hey, tell us about beaching the boat on the James in 2017 and that uh, it apparently is easy to go to bathroom on sandbars. 
Is it story time or is it move on? Ask me the last question. <laughs> or did he tell the entire story? Is he like looking at my Instagram, looking at trying to find that one picture of my book? No picture. I wouldn't put it past Joe, so probably. <laughs> no, we were down there for a regional at the James, and I was running, and I'm running and running, and I was like on like 30 miles an hour, and all of a sudden. Boom! Like the but it was the most graceful stop of my life, and like I'm looking and I'm like, I can see water like on my side of the boat, but the whole co-angler side was just dry land. Yikes. So I was like, oh my god! So I get out thinking, okay, I can slide, you know, see if I can slide it off. Well, the right half of the boat was in three and a half feet of water. The left half was in dry as can be, and the tide was still going out for an hour. So I was by myself. I couldn't lift a fiberglass bass boat by myself. So I sat there at lunch, went to the bathroom. I fished from the sandbar. I didn't catch nothing. And then about four hours later, I think I made it on my way. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I guess thing. it could be a lot worse. It definitely could be a lot worse. But uh, all right. No, that story's out of the way. I, th- I was looking for something exciting, but apparently it wasn't that exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like everyone who fishes those tidal rivers gets stuck on a sandbar at some point. It would have been so. better if I had like someone to experience it with, or somebody got stuck with me. Like if me and Joe were side by side, and we both, you know, drove up on the sandbar, and we could have made a day out of it. But yeah. shoot, I was we had like bust out the picnic baskets made some sandwiches you know yeah i was by myself and i had nothing to do no one was by me i was like so far down in a creek that no one ever goes in so now you know why no one goes in the creek yeah (laughs) lessons learned the hard way yeah all right jonathan our last question for you tonight uh is one we always ask everybody that's new to the show and that is if you could sit down and have a, a steak and a beer with three different individuals uh, they don't have to be in the fishing industry. They could be you know, athletes. They could be you know, family members, whoever. It could be whoever you want. It could be a thousand years ago. could still be alive. You know, who would you uh, sit down, have a, a steak and a beer with, pick their brain? Uh, three individuals. Go. Hmm. Ooh, that is a tough one. Let's see. Always stumps them. Go with George Washington. Why not? <laughs> um, but why? And not just why not. I mean, what teeth, bro? <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, shoot, you got me. Wouldn't this you want to talk to George Washington? Huh? So, wouldn't you want to talk to George Washington? Yeah, I mean. Tell me a little bit how it was back in those days. Tell me how it all started. <laughs> He's probably like, thank God I died if he saw our country now. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, other than that. Uh, it can be fishing or non-fishing. Say, yeah, if it was fishing, I would say like it would be cool to sit down with Rick Klun. I mean, just to kind of. You know, because I still I still get to watch him fish, and you know he he's been in our industry for so long. To actually have a sit down conversation with him, I think that'd be very you know a, a life experience. I think you would learn a lot just talking to him. I you know it's it's someone that everyone knew growing up 
fishing, even if you weren't really into fishing, you just knew of Rick Klon. So I think that would be a big, you know, one on the fishing side. And then the third one. Mm. Well, dude, you're going to get a chance to probably sit down with Rick Klon this year. I, I hope. <laughs> He's probably, yeah, you get to fish against him. I know. Talk about a guy who will teach you a lesson or two on spinnerbaits. I know. He might have to. Hopefully, hopefully it's not at the first one or else he'll be winning it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Third one. Ugh. Did you play you sports could, growing up? You get everybody like this? Oh, yeah. I oh, watch sports. Only new guys to the show. So next time you come on, you won't get hit with the three-person question unless you Sorry. unless you want it again. Sidney Crosby. My man. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> Bailey's going to be pumped about that one. I had to throw something in there eventually. <laughs> I think we had this conversation uh, over Instagram talking about Penn's fans. But. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. I, I've, I've been a big hockey fan my whole life. You know, it'd, it'd be really nice to meet him and sit down with him. I don't know. I, I'm sure he doesn't drink beer. but <laughs> Oh, I'm sure he does. I'm sure. He's Canadian, bro. He's Canadian. They drink beer. They drink lots beer. beer out the womb. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, no, it, he's – not only is he, like, as a hockey player, really awesome to grow up, you know, as a role model and mm-hmm. to obviously watch play, but I think he's, like, he's super interesting because you don't know much about him unless you, like, read books about him or, like, hear some stories from teammates about him because – he doesn't have social media, doesn't care for it. He's and a you, guys, you guys think he drinks beer? All right, come on. Give me some credit here. I think I might be right on this one. It, it, who knows? It, it wins who knows, man? But, <laughs> yeah, Joe said he's probably bottle-fed on Labatt's. <laughs> but uh, that's a good five. Uh, good three, five. Why did I say five? But, what are you uh, doing? Dude, congrats again on qualifying for the Elite Series. Major props. We're proud uh, to, uh, one, get you on the show, and two, to uh, watch you go uh, fish the Elite Series this year. Hopefully, you know, you might uh, you know give some people a lesson on spinner baits at St. John's. <laughs> but uh, either way, we, uh, we hope to get you back on here real soon. We appreciate you taking the time. And, uh, again, I am very jealous that you're fishing Chickamauga right now. Me too. <laughs> Yeah, but when you get back up north, we'll have to look to get some time and go fishing before the ice gets here. Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys for having me. I really do appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, John. I look and forward to uh, get back. Yeah, so your Instagram and your Facebook are in the show notes and the YouTube description, but is there anything else that people should uh, follow you at or anything like that? Uh, you can follow me at both of those right now. Uh, I do have a website that is being developed that will be done in the next week or so. Awesome. Um, and then after that, I when I do come back from this trip and like the Toyota Championship, I am starting a YouTube channel. I didn't want to start it just because I made the elite, so I was kind of waiting until I made this trip out here to actually get some footage to use for it. So come you know the first week of November, I will have a YouTube up and running with some footage from this week out here, and then the week at the Toyota Championship on Pickwick. Heck yeah, dude. Well, uh, we're looking forward to that. And when you uh, start that YouTube, we'll be sure to uh, throw it on, uh, throw it out on our channels because I consume a lot of YouTube fishing. So I'm looking forward to uh, watching you behind the camera. So, congrats again on the elites, dude. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, man. Have a good night. Good luck. Thank you. I am so jealous that he's fishing chicken mug. I love that. I, I mean, you, you and I, are, you, you've heard me talk. We've talked. 
Yeah. We've talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow comes up. I got to get there, man. I got to get there. Tell you. So here's an idea. I'm going to throw it out to the folks because why not? Uh, something that Andrew, Andy, and I – Andrew, Andy. See, I, I Captain. Oh, Captain, whatever <laughs> you want. Andrew, oh. Andy, Captain, those three guys. Uh, <laughs> those three guys. Three and one. <laughs> Andy, Andy and Adam we've been discussing is – uh, the potential of doing a series this year, and we calling it uh, Quest for Ten. So, like, obviously chasing that giant, that you know, the ten pounder that everyone always dreams of. Uh, and we're very curious, you know, if you guys would be interested in seeing a series like that. It'd be something we'd get like a whole film crew, make a whole trip out of it, go down to like a chick or somewhere in Texas, Louisiana, maybe a Florida. Um, Something like that. So if you guys are interested, obviously let us know. But also in that same line of thought, uh, winter is coming for us here in New York. We only have about a month and a half, maybe two months, if we're lucky, of open water fishing left. Um, that being said, there's a couple months stretch there where Andy and I can't get on open water unless we travel. Uh, so if you guys have topic ideas that you'd love for us to cover, uh, go in depth, make more videos on, uh, one, let us know so we can try to film something on it. Uh, if it's good for enough for we can film during the fall, let us know on that. But then two, let us know ideas and topics of stuff to film for a podcast content for people to get on stuff to talk about. Either one, let us know in this show comments, reach out to us on social media. You guys can, you guys can send us an email. If you're still listening to this, watching this right now, our email, our show email is always in the description. I don't think we've ever plugged it. You guys can feel free to reach out. The email goes to myself and I always share it. You know, fan e- uh, emails and such with with uh, Andrew and Adam. So feel free to email us on there if you want to be like, "Hey, I enjoyed this show. You guys should talk about this." Or maybe if the comment on one show, we want to tell me or Andy that we're dumb. Whatever the whatever the fact it is, it happens. We call each other dumb all the time. <laughs> all so the time. <laughs> but uh, either way, we we encourage your guys' thoughts because you know, there might be some things fishing wise that Andy, Adam, or I aren't thinking about. Uh, and it's very likely the case. So we'd like to hear about what you guys are going to hear about. And if it's something we don't know, we can get on somebody who does know, and then we're all learning. So obviously we we highly encourage uh, you guys doing that. So Andy, anything to add before we hop off here tonight? Go Bills. Go Bills. <laughs> what is the score update? It is six nothing. No. 7-6 Tennessee because Derrick Henry broke an 80-yard touchdown run. Well, there was three holds on the play by Tennessee, and they didn't call one. It's kind of wonky. But the Bills are driving. that big a man? You have – you have, what? How do you let that man run all the way? Just God. Dude, he, he's fast. He's like a 4-4 runner. Like, he was boogieing. You're telling me that their corners and defensive backs for the Bills can't catch that man? He was gone. Like was 20 gone. yards gone. <laughs> like he was, You're he telling was me Poyer or Jadavius White or well Trey White got dragged down by the back of his neck, like five feet behind him, and then Poyer was just destroyed by a lineman. Oh. So like that's fun. When I said there was three holdings on the play, there was literally three holdings on the play thing they didn't call. Hey, sounds like it's going well for the Bills. <laughs> yeah, they're driving, they're about to score. So that's good. I need more points from Josh Allen for fantasy. He's, I think he's like nine for eleven, not bad for like one hundred and twenty yards or so. So, yeah. All right, well, folks, we are going to tune off here uh, tomorrow. We have a smallmouth video coming out to you guys. I got to finish editing that. That'll be up in the morning. 
Uh, that being said, too, if there's times where you guys like to post, I know some people said noon. Uh, so we've been trying early mornings, you know, noon, evening. Let us know when you guys like to, to see some of the YouTube vids. So that being said, we're going to tune off here, and we'll see you guys on Friday. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you like some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all. And we'll see y'all on the next one.